This isn't a spy stream. Best one since the next one. The podcast that dives deeper than a hapless stormtrooper tumbling down the gullet of the Sarlacc pit into film and TV franchises and the fandoms they inspire. Today, we're tackling the first episode of the Book of Boba Fett. And to do that with me, my guest today is Doug Dorda. Doug, how you doing? Oh man, I'm so good. How are you, John? I'm feeling fantastic. I'm so happy you could do this. We're back in the break room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is, it, it just feels like... Feels like old times. Doug and I uh, used to be co-workers, and uh, we would spend our entire breaks just talking about Star Wars and alienating people in the break room. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing quite like alienating people over Thai food. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, before we move on, we're going to do episode one and episode two together. So I thought we could get comfortable, and I could propose a Star Wars nickname for you for this podcast, like a cool like wrestler-sounding name. Yeah, man. Hit me. Are you ready for it? <laughs> I am so ready. All right. An especially dangerous Doug Dorda. <laughs> I like it. It's good. An especially dangerous Doug, like Sebulba. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> See, no. it's good. Wapa ye doo I was also thinking about, like, uh, Doug, an especially dangerous one, Dorda. But I think an especially dangerous Doug Dorda sounds better. I like it. Hey, you so, know what? So long as I'm like a really good pod racer, I'm totally fine. Yeah, and you have to walk on your hands. Well, you know, given that I've got a young daughter at home, like it's it's actually kind of <laughs> natural for me right now. It's yeah. uh, like um, evolutionary advantage of being a father. It, it really is. Man. Like now. she's getting really close to crawling, so I do a lot of crab walking, so I'm I'm halfway there. I'm glad you, uh, you've accepted your nickname and we can move on. It is the Book of Boba Fett. I, I was telling you before, we kind of have to split up Star Wars. The point of the podcast is to like do deep dives into series and franchises. I feel like Star Wars needs to be split up like um, the algorithm in Tenet and buried around the world or like like the infinity stones and separated across the galaxy because if i did all star wars at once it would be way too powerful yeah it, it really needs to be one of those things is you you need to compartmentalize exactly right? this this part needs to exist over here we don't even need to get into the expanded universe of the books pre-disney <laughs> right we can set that Not stuff yet. aside and then we will eventually get there so let's focus what is your specific relationship to boba fett i'm so glad you asked yeah i'm glad to have asked you luckily for me I get to tell you that I had very little relationship with, with Boba Fett until relatively recently, let's say within the past seven years. When I would watch Star Wars when I was younger, Boba Fett never really resonated with me. You know, I always thought about, oh, that lame guy who just got fucking jetpack blasted and then ended up in the Sarlacc pit. It, it didn't really resonate with me in, in the way that many other background characters did, where I was like, oh, that's a badass character that I should really be focusing on. It didn't hit me. It didn't grab me. It wasn't until I moved out to Grand Rapids and then met a very good friend of mine, who I won't name for now, just in case maybe later on he'll say I can name him and he'll be totally fine with it. He was a coworker of mine, a friend of mine, basically a brother of mine. And he told me years ago in confidence, hey, I've got a Boba Fett suit. And I was like, <laughs> great. Yeah. You know, like one of those Target, you know, kind of zip it up Boba Fett suits, right? And he oh, was no. like, no, I... I have a Boba Fett suit. And I was like, are you, wait a minute. 
Like, how how Boba Fett are we talking? And it was like the Boba-ist of Boba Fett. Like, we're talking the Boba. So when he hit me with this information, I was like, oh, all right, all right. I guess I should really kind of dig into this character a little bit more. And from then on, I really started to develop a love for it and and develop an an, an interest in the lore. And then it wasn't until uh, Clone Wars and the Bad Batch, you know, now coming up that they really started to flesh out Boba Fett more. And then, of course, what we've got going on now into the Mandalorian. And it just kind of exploded as this like, oh, what we're doing is creating the mystique of a character who's mattered solely because the fans chose them to matter, but it also has the gravitas to matter. And as a result of that, I now sit here recording a podcast about a show. It's fascinating that we're at this point where we're sitting down to talk about a, a television show about Boba Fett. It's still really hard to wrap my head around. I'm actually in the very similar place that you are with Boba Fett, even with the Blodgett tie-in. I actually have a funny story about Blodgett and the Boba Fett suit. I went to go get a tattoo on Star Wars Day. Oh, you did that? Four years ago at a place down in downtown Grand Rapids, and they were doing like discount star wars flash for 50 bucks so i was like i gotta do it so we went down there and they had you know uh, a bunch of people i'm not sure if they were 501st or just in in their costumes from around grand rapids but there was they, they were 501st two stormtroopers and a boba fett and the boba fett was constantly over my shoulder like uncomfortably close peering over my shoulder <laughs> basically touching my head with his helmet and i was like what is this guy's deal what is boba fett's deal right now what is going on and it wasn't until the next day at work where Matt was like, how'd your tattoo turn out? <laughs> I was like, you son of a bitch. Like, it was you the whole time. <laughs> I didn't know he owned that suit until then. But I was like, why is this Boba Fett, like, coming on to me? I don't understand what's happening right now. But, yeah, my my, my relationship besides uh, him being up in my personal space with Boba Fett is very similar. Where, like, for a long time, Boba Fett kind of signified a f- type of fan or a type of fandom that I didn't really relate to where it's like the cool thing that blows things up is better than the spiritual or the thematic elements of the story. And I remember like specifically in high, even in high school, like seeing someone with a Boba Fett shirt and be like, Ugh, Boba Fett, nah. like, I don't care about Boba Fett. He's not cool. What's cool is the force. You know, it's like, <laughs> well, what's uncool is probably me. But at the same time, the exact same thing happened where, you know, and I always thought he looked cool. Obviously the no disintegrations part in empire is like, this is cool as hell, but I was always like more of a Bosque or like a four and Zuckus type of type of guy. Oh, I just yeah. was more interested in that and like read the tales of the bounty hunter and was like, Oh cool. He gets out, you know, developed a, like a headcanon or developed like a story in my head about what happened and my own imagination. It's star Wars. Every aspect of it fires off your imagination, whether you like it or not, you know, and exactly the same thing happened where you see the clone wars episodes with young Boba and it's like, Oh cool. I didn't, you never thought I would see this. And then cut to Mandalorian season two. And you're like, Oh, I never thought I would see this. Actually. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, and, and I admittedly did not love the Robert Rodriguez episode. But Boba's part in it was amazing. And I was like, what is going on where Disney's making me like Boba Fett? And it's like, just let it go, man. Just go with it. Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad that you came to it in the same way where like this this one guy, to be clear, the guy that we're talking about is very, very different inhabiting the suit than Tamura Morrison. You know, like, I don't want to get yeah. into it too much, but it's very, very <laughs> different than, than Tamura Morrison. So it's <laughs> it's inextricably linked, right? I can't see this character ever on screen. <laughs> Without thinking about <laughs> this this friend of mine, this brother of mine, it's, and it's incredible. But it's you know what is even more incredible is that he could have chosen at any given point to be like, you know what, I'm going to be Salacious B. Crumb, 
<laughs> and I'm really going to drill into that. And no, instead, he chose like prophetically years ago before there was any anything other than just like expanded universe book lore about what had happened to Boba Fett to just be like, you know what? This guy's a badass. He's worth spending so much of my life and so much of my time just making sure that people in the world think is real and and remember like he just goes to places, charity events and throws on this costume and just wants to remind people like, hey, this is part of the magic of Star Wars. And when I stop and think about that, that's what like really it, it, it is. That's the magic of Star Wars is that it is just this perpetual machine of wonder. And that's what he gave me. And it sounds like he gave that to you, too. He gave you more than wonder. But yeah, was, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a perpetual machine of wonder. Absolutely. And there's so many aspects of it that you can focus in on and make that your thing. And I'm actually just so happy for the people. The, the people that I once was like, you don't like Star Wars the way I do. I was just so happy for them to have this in this way. And it's like, no matter how I feel or continue to feel about Boba Fett, this means the world to them. And I'm here for it. You know, it's like, it's just, it's amazing that we can sit back and like watch a Boba Fett show together. And we'll get into it, but they're definitely doing it right. Before we get into the actual episode itself, let's take a little stroll down Boba Fett lane and head into the hollow chamber. Let's do it. Initiating Hollow Chamber Protocol. You are now entering the Hollow Chamber. In the Hollow Chamber, we're going to go behind the scenes, give you some historical context about the creation of Boba Fett. And to do that, we're going to start at the very beginning. Boba Fett uh, initially conceived as a super commando for the Empire Strikes Back. Then he was adapted into the infamous helmeted figure we know and love today. Uh, as the script developed, Boba Fett's design was originally influenced by legendary concept artist Ralph McQuarrie. Shout out to Ralph McQuarrie. Uh, with the final design credit going to Joe Johnson. Also, shout out to the Rocketeer. Shout out October Sky. Shout out Captain America, the first Avenger. Shout out Joe Johnson, a personal hero of mine, and I, I love him to death. With the exception of Jurassic Park 3. There's no Jurassic Park 3 slander on my podcast. but <laughs> <laughs> Boba was based loosely on the man with no name from Sergio Leone's Dollars Trilogy. And, as such, sound designer and resident Lucasfilm madman Ben Burt added the iconic Spurs sound to make his gait more menacing. Norman Reynolds, alongside the film's art department, created the initial suit, which was all white, for screen testing. It's really crazy that those Spurs came into play in the first season and, like, made everyone go insane. And they're like, it's Boba Fett. Like, there was no way it's Boba Fett. And everyone was just going nuts. And it's like, of course it was Boba Fett. Like, there's no, the mystery was like solved in the moment, but everyone was just like, it can't be. There's no way. It's not going to be. But I, but again, you know, watching the episode later on, because I was explaining this to my wife and I was like, yeah, the Spurs, the Spurs are a huge thing. Cobb Vanth also has those Spurs. That's a, that's an extremely good point. But we didn't know about Cobb Vanth until then. So and it's a unique guess, but, sound. Yeah, Cobb Vanth's like body mass makes the Spurs jangle differently. So. <laughs> They're really, but he, I mean, he looks so comically small in the suit compared to Tamura. It, like it makes total sense. He looked like those zip up like Target. He really uh, did. That costumes you're talking about. I love that aspect of it. But man, Cobb Vanth's hair. That's the next podcast. Is <sighs> Cobb Vanth's hair. Just Timothy uh, Oliphant. Full stop. I would go for hours It'd be like, this guy, how? How did he do it? How is he still doing it? <laughs> You're a fantasy novel guy. They're called Oliphants in Lord of the Rings, right? Oliphants, yeah. It's it's a slightly different infl in inflection, but yeah. I mean, I look at them with the same oh, kind okay. of wonder. We should put the two side by side. Um, <laughs> compare their features. He I just, man, like the one of the worst Stephen King adaptations that I've ever seen, which is still a movie that I love. And I think you would agree, Dreamcatcher. I love it so much, but it's insane. 
And he's a part of the reason that you just, you can't help but be charmed by him. You're like, oh, God. He, like, he and Sam Rockwell, if they ever made a buddy cop movie about Timothy Oliphant and Sam Rockwell, that shit would sell. <laughs> Here's the power of Timothy Oliphant is we stop talking about Boba Fett to talk about Timothy Oliphant. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, Boba Fett's first in-person appearance was walking alongside his homie Darth Vader at the San Anselmo Country Fair Parade on September 24th, 1978, and was featured on screen for the first time in the 1970. Star Wars holiday special in the animated short The Story of the Faithful Wookiee available on Golden Book and I read it to my boys and they love it. But his first proper Star Wars film appearance was in The Empire Strikes Back portrayed by the late Jeremy Bullock. He was cast for the role simply because the suit fit him and that's where the, that's where the phrase if the suit fits comes from. It's about the Boba Fett costume and I know it's the of shoe. Course it's a joke. We're moving on. Bullock would also reprise the role in Return of the Jedi. Um, unfortunately, he passed away last year December of 2020. All this information can be found in a really amazing uh, documentary on Disney Plus called Under the Helmet. If you're listening to this, you probably already know that. But if not, it's 21 minutes and it's well worth your time. It's great. Yeah, it's, it opens up it's with, so much fun. It, it opens up with Ben Burr failing to play a horn. That'll make your whole year. Yeah, a young Boba Fett was portrayed in 2002's Attack of the Clones. Dad, Ton Wee's here. Dad. Dad, Tom Wee's here. I'm just going to do that for the rest of the podcast. By actor Daniel Logan, who also lent his voice to the character in the Clone Wars animated series. Um, in Attack of the Clones, we learn that he is an unaltered clone of the legendary bounty hunter Jango Fett, who was beheaded right in front of Boba by Mace Windu at the Battle of Geonosis. I learned today that it's one of those, like, I was today years old memes, but I didn't realize his head flew out of the helmet. Yeah, when I, when I watched the episode, I was like, wow. All right, so you can clearly see through the visor. There's no head in there. Someone told me today that you can see the shadow of the head flying out of the helmet in Attack of the Clones. And I was like, no, you can't. And I went and I watched it. I was like, sure enough, you can. Oh, which is going to make me watch Attack of the Clones again? Make you. You can see how it's being fully embraced now. So it took me a while to get there. But I do love Attack of the Clones. I, I mean, I love them all for, for various reasons. Just like, if I got to watch one, that's not at the top of the pile. It's the second one. <laughs> the... Uh, yeah, you can see the head flying out as a shadow, and it's just such a hilarious detail. And you can think about the conversation behind it. That's like, oh, we should probably show his head flying out. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially with George Lucas being like, well, yeah, I guess that is a, I guess that is a, a plot hole. We should probably show his head flying out of the helmet. George, otherwise, uh, a child's gonna be staring at his at his father's severed head. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> In The Mandalorian, we learn that Boba survived the Sarlacc Pit and is in search of his trademark armor, which is in Mando's possession after helping Cobb Vanth destroy a crate dragon that was terrorizing the town of Mos Pelgo. The Book of Boba Fett was announced in an amazing surprise post credit scene at the end of Season 2 of The Mandalorian. We also learn in the animated series The Bad Batch that Omega, an enhanced female clone, is also an unaltered clone of Jango Fett, which technically makes her... Boba Fett's sister. Which brings us to, that's right, the Book of Boba Fett, episode one, Stranger in a Strange Land. It's been a long journey for Boba Fett, and the buildup to him appearing and where we're at now, I think it's done all the heavy lifting necessary. Once we start talking about the episode, it's really clear where he's at mentally. It's really clear where he's at, that he's like this enlightened dude that wants to change his ways slightly. I still don't really fully understand, and we'll talk about this more, I still don't fully understand why He's in search of power in, on Tatooine, but that's something we can talk about later with speculation for the, the future of the series. Are you in the same place? Do you have any yeah, ideas? Yeah, where, no, like I, I totally agree. You know, it was one of those incredible things 
having seen that post credit sequence, you're like, oh my god, he's going to rise to power. And the way this episode was laid out was so smart, you know, kind of reintroducing you to the character and making sure that you understood a bit more of his motivations and, and giving you enough flashback information to make you understand that he is A, powerful, B, resilient, and, and C, definitely entitled to a, a stake in what he's got going on there on Tatooine. But the the motivation isn't quite clear yet and you know they got how many episodes is this series again what is it eight seven i believe seven episodes so we've got seven episodes to really get there and a lot of what we've seen especially with like mando season one and two and long form stories is that you can really forgive kind of some of that lack of character motivation being drawn clearly by the end of a show like by the end of it we'll be like oh my god this is the, the most genius thing that they ever did was you know forgetting in the first episode to tell us exactly why he's doing what he's doing who cares yeah exactly and even with Mandalorian, you're kind of in a place, you know, a lot of things have happened in the Mandalorian, but you're kind of in a place where it's like, okay, they want Grogu's DNA. There's a bad person after them. The dark sabers in contention, the end. It's like, there's not a, there's a lot going on, but it's the plot's still very simple and straightforward because of all the visual storytelling they do. You just experience more of what's happening as opposed to like having it spelled out for you. And I would say so far in the book of Boba Fett, the two key themes are power and survival boba fett's clearly being painted as like the ultimate survivor and how he'll use that to gain power has yet to be seen well let's talk about some details about the book of boba fett uh released yesterday wednesday december 29th 2021 directed by robert rodriguez written by john favreau the cast includes tamara morrison obviously as boba fett the fabulous ming na wen as fennec shand so awesome Jennifer Beals as Garza Fwip, the uh, Twi'lek. David Pasquesi as uh, Stu the Meat Man. No, I'm just kidding. As the mayor's major domo. He was also, did you ever watch Veep? Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, yeah, Selena's ex-husband on Veep. So, so it, was, it, it was cool to see him and he was excellent. Matt Barry Laszlo from What We Do in the Shadows as AD8. Robert Rodriguez as Doc Strassi as the uh, Trandoshan that was like um, handed over the, the Wookiee pelt. So glad he did that. Just putting it in. <laughs> And he does he does the little like curtsy and it's like what's happening? I'm watching a Trandoshan curtsy and like walk away. If you haven't seen the episode yet, a little plot summary for you. We open in the empty halls of Jabba's Palace on Tatooine after the events of Mandalorian season two. Boba lies in a back to tank tortured by dreams of Kamino and his father's death on Geonosis. Then we cut to Boba in the belly of the Sarlacc, where he uses the air supply from a deceased stormtrooper and his handy-dandy flamethrower to escape from a fate of being slowly digested over the course of a thousand years. Boba emerges from the sands of Tatooine in front of the charred remains of Jabba's sail barge covered in Sarlacc guts, then passes out. Jawas arrive to scavenge his armor, and Tusken Raiders eventually discover his body and take him prisoner after reviving him with what seems to be the guts slash juices of some sort of larva. Did you catch that? <laughs> yeah, uh, it reminded me a lot of actually uh, Star Trek, but kind of in the reverse, you know, where they use the uh, <laughs> they use whatever that is to get the, the codes, you know, to like mine into the into the head of who is a Chekhov. And I don't know. or I don't want to mix too many genres, genres, but yeah. Can I, I make an embarrassing admission on the podcast? I've only seen the original cast movies. I went on a quest during quarantine. And I was like, why have I never watched any Star Trek? And um, started with the original movies and loved them all. And I'm still slowly going through everything. So that um, honestly, that's that's pretty great. But I will say that they have a they have an unwritten rule where it's like every other one is good. So as you get into the next generation movies, that's that's definitely where you're going to find yourself. But you are going to love young Tom Hardy in Star Trek Nemesis. 
I, oh man, <laughs> I I almost guarantee you that he plays a young clone of Jean Luc Picard, and uh, oh, I would naturally. consider that a spoiler, but it's been out for like. 30 years. Yeah, that's that's on me. My favorite of the Star Trek movies was the Undiscovered Country. Undiscovered Country, that was the allegory for the Cuban Missile Crisis. I don't want to know all of this, but I had a friend who made me watch all of them with him while I was in college. <laughs> that's a good friend. He really was like, no, and this one means this, and this one is this. Or wait, no, is Undiscovered Country is the one where they go for the god? No, Undiscovered Country is the the one with the Klingons. That's the one with Christopher Plummer as the the main villain where... Yes, yep, yep, that is the Cuban Missile Crisis. Where Bones and Kirk go to the prison, the Klingon prison camp. Yeah, that movie fucking rules. That's one of the best movies I've ever seen, not just my favorite Star Trek movie. I, Dude, I it, in love with uh, it. Uh, I really, I like, I wanted to hate Star Trek for my entire life. And then when I watched all those movies, I was like, all right, I'll give it a chance. And now I have a, a a lot of appreciation for it. I still don't love it in the same way that I can easily love anything Star Wars. Made obvious by the fact that I like laboriously, not laboriously, lovingly went through all of Rebels down here in my basement and had to justify to my wife over and over again. I was like, you don't get it. Ahsoka and Vader dueled. <laughs> and like had to make justifications for why me, an adult grown man, is down in the basement crying over a cartoon. You know? It's the first time they saw each other. Like, no, he had his voice. It was his voice. She cut his helmet and you could hear his voice. His eye broke off from his helmet. You could see his face and they saw each other with their own eyes. You don't get it. They went through time. <laughs> Kanan died. Sorry if you haven't seen Rebels. Uh, but I'll, I'll bring us back home here. Boba is tied to the tail end of a Bantha caravan and dragged to a Tusken Raider camp where he is tied up next to a Rodian prisoner. Boba escapes by cutting his ropes on the guarding Massive's teeth, then offers to cut the bonds of his fellow prisoner, who rats him out to the sleeping Tuscan camp. He's chased into the desert and captured by another Massive, and the Tuscan chieftain gives him the opportunity to fight for his freedom. Boba loses the fight and is taken back into custody. Awakened in the present by Fennec Shan, Boba tells her his dreams are back, then suits up like Rambo to receive his esteemed guests that are waiting to pay tribute. 8D8 introduces them one by one until the mayor's majordomo arrives and insultingly asks Boba for a tribute to the mayor instead. The majordomo sends a not-so-veiled threat Boba and Fennec's way as two shirtless Gamorrean guards are brought in to be executed. Boba spares them in exchange for their loyalty, and they all head into Mos Espa. I continually in this description kept using shirtless Gamorrean guards because I just really, really want to hammer that home that they're, they're not wearing shirts. And it's, it's real good. A lot of shirtless Gamorrean action in these TV series because weren't there like MMA Gamorrean guards in Mando yeah, season in, two? In the first episode of Mando season two. They're really going for it. Anyway, let's continue. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute. Smooth jizz? We're not supposed to say smooth jizz. Yeah, that's what it's, they're called jizz whalers. Oh my I purpose, god! I, pur I purposely gave you this paragraph. <laughs> All right, here we go. You get Jizz Whaler. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm, I got this. They enter Garza Whip's sanctuary to the smooth Jizz Whaler tunes of the Max Rebo band. Boba introduces himself as the new crime lord and promises her business will thrive under his watchful eye. As they exit, they are ambushed by energy shield wielding assassins. A fight ensues, and all looks lost for Fennec and Boba until the shirtless Gamorreans save the day. <laughs> I should have capitalized the ass on shirtless. Boba gets electrocuted a ton, and the shirtless Gamorreans take him back to his bactopod. Fennec chases down the remaining assassins across the rooftops of Mos Espa and does her thing, kicking one off the roof, seemingly sparing the other. I gotta tell you right now, Doug, if there's ever, like, one of those Star Wars 45s that has, like, turn the page now. <laughs> you have you have to do it you got to do the the voice for that because it's like I, I feel like i almost didn't continue because 
I was like, I'm listening to like a Star Wars book on tape right now. Well, that's why I wanted to get in voice acting, man. I've been told my entire life, you got this voice for voice acting. I got it from my dad. Like, it doesn't come from anywhere weird. It just, it, it was his, but he was like a gruff dude, you know? It's not that I love speaking into a microphone because I have this voice. I love having conversations with people. So I try to like tone it down because when I like really turn it up, my wife is constantly like, oh, what are you fucking on stage? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm just like really passionate about something. Sorry. Boba's dreams fire back up in the back of the tank, picking up as he and the Rodian are escorted through the desert by a Tuscan child. They witness a swoop bike gang ransacking and spray painting a homestead, then drive off into the desert. The Tuscan child instructs Boba and the Rodian how to dig for little water gourds beneath the Tatooine sands, refusing Boba water when requested. Eventually, the Rodian digs up the love child of Mortal Kombat's Goro and the Ray Harryhausen Kraken from Clash of the Titans, and it attacks, but Boba fights back and strangles it to death. They return to camp with the creature's head, and the Tuscan chieftain offers Boba his little water gourd as a symbol that he is now a part of the tribe. Or at least I assume that's what it means. It's, oh, it's it took me a lot to not laugh so hard at your, because I was trying to be like, uh, is that a chameleon centaur? But that's that's exactly the way to describe it, the way that <laughs> you wrote it there. The ending was, was incredible. It brought up something to me that like I don't want to say because I think it's kind of a bad take. I, I have a little Tatooine fatigue. I really need to get out of Tatooine. I understand Luke's point in A New Hope. I get it. Like I want to get away from Tatooine. It's like a Christian saying they want to get away from Jerusalem. But like I just want to get away from it. So having little touches like that, where it's like, oh, there are still are a ton of dangers out there, and the landscape of the cities are, is changing, and here's some parts of the planet you've never seen before. It really goes a long way because it's like, oh man, Tatooine again, and then we have Kenobi. It's going to be on Tatooine, and it's like, yeah, you know, I I totally understand what you're saying there, but I also fully am on board with your point. If you can constantly make it interesting, if you can deepen the lore there, because the the what's the biggest what's the biggest like criticism of the star wars universe that i always hear constantly is that it is one planet one terrain tatooine you got desert over there there's more desert over here hey we got yeah. desert you know uh, 40 clicks back that way we got some more desert you know endor <laughs> that's that's a whole forest that's all that is and that's why i was like really intrigued when they got to exegol in the rise of skywalker and you saw a sorry not exegol um mustafar I don't, I don't know exactly if that's Mustafar that Kylo Ren starts off on, it right? Is, yeah, so the... cool. Great. There's a part of Mustafar that is not a lava field. Great. Show me more of that. I thought that was fascinating too. And it's like it, to the point where when the movie started and you're like, oh, this planet's cool. And then the visual dictionary comes out and it's like landing on Mustafar. And everyone's like, Moose, it, that was Mustafar? There's no way. Where it's like, oh, this is cool. Like maybe this is the part of the planet where the lava helped enrich the soil and then the trees can grow here. <laughs> We're like really going down the rabbit hole. Oh yeah, um, man. Well, which, I, which... <laughs> I got to imagine if somebody tunes into a, a podcast about the book of Boba Fett, they're not like, you know, I think I'm going to give this star Wars a shot. You know, they're, they're <laughs> starting here now. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I really like that. What's his name? Tamara, Tamara, shrimp, tempura Morrison. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit more besides just the landscape of Tatooine. What did you think of the episode at large? What time did you wake up to watch it? So, you know, as I said earlier, I've got a young daughter at home so, and, 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 uh, she's my primary thing that's that's what i do and i've had to kind of relinquish a lot of like what i what i used to do where i'd be like oh man i'm gonna go to the midnight releases and i'm gonna make sure that i'm there on day one at moment one and i did the best that i could which was the moment she went down to sleep at night i was like i am going downstairs to watch my star wars program that's what i'm gonna go do so 
I, I went down there and I did that. And again, talking about the fact that, you know, a very good friend of, of mine has cosplayed as, as this character for years and been a huge, huge fanatic of this, this character for years. I was like, I can't wait to figure out what we're going to do. And given the fact that his introduction in the Mandalorian, his reintroduction in the Mandalorian kind of introduced him as this like predator-esque figure, this just sure. imposing menace. I was thrilled. Because his reintroduction gives us the exact same thing that the hallway scene in Rogue One does with Vader, which is like, you've always thought this character was a badass. We're going to give you that in fucking spades. Like, mm -hmm. not only is this character a badass, he's dangerous. He's he's nuts. He's unhinged. But he's got a code. He's got, he's got a moral fiber about him. And he's going to make sure that he does stuff, which is why in The Mandalorian... In order, you know, in order to be exchanged for his armor, he's going to help retrieve the child. And here we see a lot more of that respect. So when you were talking earlier about the themes that were in this episode, I thought the main one actually was respect. And he was earning that from the Sand People, the Tuscan Raiders, in this entire episode. In that last moment of the episode where he gets handed the water gourd after he, you know, kills the, the chameleon centaur, is that moment where you're like, all right, everybody here is begrudgingly or otherwise going to understand that this is a character that you could fear, but you don't want to because you know having him on your side is the right choice. That respect is a new trait of his. That that ability to have that code is a shift in persona for him. Something is happening that we're learning about along the way that's giving him this new lease on life, essentially. And, you know, you're seeing it build up with the Tusken Raiders. Maybe it's being thankful to be alive. He had a lot of time to think in the belly of the Sarlacc and is like, you know, I probably shouldn't just be like ruthless bounty hunter, just killing people for money anymore. Maybe I should try to do something with my life. So he pops out of the Sarlacc pit and barely survives and is kind of taken in, in a way, by the Tusken Raiders. And you say respect. I lump that in with power and survival because he had no choice but to survive in those moments, which gained him the respect, right? He, I don't think he was essentially going out for that or looking to gain respect. He was just like, I just need to do what I have to do to get through this and not have this thing kill me. I don't want it to kill that Tusken Raider child, even though it's part of a tribe that's keeping me captive. That moral fiber is there, but it's something that's learned through experience of having a lot of time to contemplate his own life. You know, I just think it's a really interesting take on him. He's vulnerable. He's not the ultimate badass he thought he was from the end of the the tragedy because you know he's just tearing through stormtroopers in that episode but in this episode uh him and fennec get in a tussle with those assassins and he's just getting his ass kicked the whole time like he's he's taking them out he blows he just completely obliterates the one guy with the missile which i love but you know he's getting zapped every five seconds and he has to be rushed off by the by the gamorians so he's not infallible and he's not indestructible by any means and he keeps having to be rushed back to the back of the tank but yeah it's just a really interesting kind of a first glimpse into the actual characterization of boba fett i didn't love the episode the first time i watched it to be honest i watched it and i was like it was pretty good they did what they had to do they set the table they served some interesting and exciting hors d'oeuvres but now i just want to have a couple drinks and go for it i want to i want to i want the party to start i watched it again and then I watched it again to prepare for this. And I was like, no, this is perfect. This is like, what am I? I'm being such a spoiled brat right now. Like, don't don't look the gift Harry House and Monster Head in the mouth and just like enjoy. 
because there's so much to enjoy here. To see Camino in the first five minutes, the first like minute of the of the show really knocked me off my couch. I was like, we are absolutely going here. Okay, I get it. Yeah, I think, you know, to really drill in on the points that you're making, at first glance, if you're watching the episode and you're not trying to just understand all right, here we are. We're, we're finally learning who Boba Fett is. I think what this episode is asking the viewer to do is peel back the veneer of who you thought this character has been over the years. 100%. If you if you have seen this character in the Clone Wars or you've uh, you know understood some of the more lore that you would get in the Expanded Universe books, you might have one interpretation of who the character is. But realistically, this is a much older version of this character who is, as you put it, super fallible and actually can get his ass kicked if he's not prepared for the right situation. I feel like what they're they're insinuating here is that Boba Fett, if he's calculating and really takes the time to set the stage correctly, can do everything that he needs to do and can make sure that he really has everything that uh, that he needs to succeed. And instead, we get this character who, much like Captain Kirk in the, the most recent Star Trek reboot, uh, you know, the J.J. Abrams Star Trek, that, that Captain Kirk just gets his ass kicked the entire movie. That's all he mm-hmm. does just gets his ass kicked his superpower is resilience and that's the exact same thing that we're getting with this version of boba fett he's just resilient he's got a chip on his shoulder and we're going to figure that out through the rest of the series and it's because of the characters who are set around him that we're we're going to build more of a world around him you know you got a really fucking great action set piece in this with, you know, the the chameleon centaur, Harry Housen Beast. You got a really great action set piece where Fennec Shan finally takes off with those assassins. But it's not about that. Ultimately, those things are going to be there. It's directed by Robert Rodriguez. Of course, we're going to have a lot of great action. But what I really enjoy is that we're drilling into character motivations now. We're finally at that point where it's like, okay, it's not just about the smash and the boom and the bang bang. It's also about why why does he dream you know the the entire point i feel like of this show is going to be that toss away line you know seemingly toss away line the dreams are back there's a reason besides just showing us the dreams that they highlighted him telling his confidant fennec shand oh they're back again what brings the dreams what unleashes them what unlocks those dreams is some sort of fear of going back to the pain he felt before or something we'll see because the first image being camino if you look, it's this like first person view. It's not just like a flyover shot of Camino. It's it's a first person view looking out in onto the waves of Camino. And it's it's a show about Boba's trauma, which is crazy. I think coming at Boba Fett from the angle that we know him as is just kind of like I don't really have, really have a lot of a, uh, emotional investment in this character. A little bit more advantageous for like latching on to the emotional beats of the story. Not to say that people that have been obsessed with Boba Fett don't have a, a entry point as well, because clearly, if they're they're here to see their favorite character get a show, they're they're getting that version, the best possible version of it. You know, I'm just saying like to unlock the emotional core of Boba Fett, it's good to know nothing about him, where you can kind of have him as a blank slate and be like, oh, okay, here are his motivations. Here's where he's coming from. Here's how they're tying the prequel era, Daniel Logan, Boba Fett into the, say, three lines in the original trilogy, Boba Fett Fett into the Mandalorian Boba Fett and kind of making this tapestry of his life. And that's, I mean, obviously the book of Boba Fett part is telling his story, but going back and using the flat, the flashbacks, integrating those and telling them in such a way where it's like, that's the format, right? You think so? Like that's how it's going to continue to be told going forward. I, I think what we will eventually see is just a, a story woven over time of respect and, and a code being developed and, 
you know, time. And I think what we're what we may eventually see is a, a a balance. You know, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we get a scene that we never saw between Django and Boba years ago, where Django, you know, hits him with a nugget of wisdom, and Boba just kind of looks at him and he's like, ah, oh, yeah, whatever. And that that eventually ends up being the thing. I might pass out if that happens. <laughs> I would um, I wouldn't be surprised at all if we got that scene because we understand that Django Fett was a bounty hunter. We also understood that Django Fett gave his DNA uh, to be a clone. But why? What are Django Fett's motivations? We may not get any of that. But if it ends up being that Boba Fett's entire motivation for why he wants to be there on Tatooine is because he 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 understood that the leadership there did not love its people and was not ruling from a place of love and respect. I would not be shocked. Like if that's the entire thing is that we're trying to unlock that Boba Fett is not just a chaos agent, but is in fact calculated in trying to make sense of his own life. That would be incredible. I tend to think it's going to be centered more around the Tuscan relationship that's being formed right here. I feel like it's going to kind of hover around this general time period, but that's a really good point because there is this dynamic of like, okay, why is he doing this? Why at the end of Mandalorian season two, did he go and, take out Bib Fortuna. He didn't really have a lot of reason to do that from what we know so far. Well, and right? we get that line from Fennec Shand. Jabba would have fed you to his menagerie. You know, why are we why are we exploring the theme of what the the prior rulers would have done? Why why did we have Bib Fortuna just basically taking on the mantle and being Jabba 2.0? Right. A shitty Jabba. <laughs> right. You know, it, it's it's like um it's like Shep coming in after Curly and the Three Stooges. Like, nobody fired <laughs> like Shep, but I guess nobody he's trying cares. to do the same yuck yucks. Look, we may even get a scene where Bobo's protecting Tatooine, right? Like, actually doing the thing that he's supposed to be doing, which is ruling a fucking planet. And if that's what we get, and we get a point of, like, self-sacrifice with him, if we get a really cool ending for this character, not that I'm saying that we're going there, because obviously it's Disney, they want to make, they want to keep making money, and we want to keep having better Star Wars stories, but mm -hmm. they have killed characters before that have stayed dead. And if we do that, and we make a story that really matters with Boba Fett, then all of the things that I initially kind of bumped up against with this first episode where I'm like, yeah, it's a little slower. Yeah, it doesn't really give us a lot because our reintroduction to him was given in The Mandalorian Season 2. Mm. But I will forgive all of that. And we're talking about minor gripes here. If this story ultimately ends with here's Boba figuring out what he wanted to do with his entire life that is only given to him because Jango Fett one day said, hey, I want a clone. I want my own little me. The episode didn't initially click for me. I spent all day kind of thinking why. I was like, why? I feel like I should love this more. And I realized it's because even though I don't have a huge relationship with Boba Fett, like I was saying, I still had that imagination that's like, I wonder what happened to him afterwards, especially after reading Tales of the Bounty Hunter, that not even thinking that, oh, he could survive. So you still form your own opinions and thoughts and you still kind of play it out in your head. I had an idea for a while when that Josh Trank Boba Fett movie was supposed to come out. Oh yeah. I was like, I was like, what would I want a Boba Fett movie to be? And I was thinking of it. Have you ever seen the movie? Is it 127 hours? I was like, man, a, a Boba Fett movie where he's climbing out of the Sarlacc, but it's like 127 hours where he's having these like delusional, delusional fever dreams because the digestive enzymes of the Sarlacc are like seeping into his brain and he's remembering his life. And like, yes, maybe yes, his, yes. Maybe his jetpack fell off and like inside the, and he's like, he found it and he like remembers a time when. Like the, the jetpack helped him save a kid or, you know, like obviously not fully fleshed out. I'm not a screenwriter, but like 
you kind of see him traversing and like surviving the Sarlacc pit, but the, the runtime of the movie is entirely within the Sarlacc. And like every time he finds a new item, it like triggers a memory or like some sort of part of his memory unlocks from the like hallucinogenic properties of the inside of the Sarlacc. It's bad for an audio medium, but I'm like miming jazz snaps in here because that's a <laughs> fucking God. Like, I think what we're what we're getting at here, what we're both hovering around, is the fact that we are at an age now where we want our Star Wars to be applicable to all of our ages, right? I want I want right. Star Wars to work through every single generation, you know. Yes. I, I, and that's the magic trick of what it's done thus far, largely. Yep. You know, there yes. there are exceptions, and if you can tell a story that resonates for every generation, it's got to be emotional, it's got to be fun, it's got to have some action, it's got to have a little bit of humor, and it really has to have a core that tells a beautiful story. You know, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't have to bookend it, uh, obviously, as we saw with the Skywalker saga, you know, beginning <laughs> with one going all the way through nine, it doesn't really have to bookend it in a satisfying way, but at least one of those stories has to mean something that can resonate through all of time and through all experience in memoriam. For me... The Mandalorian hit that immediately in one way, and I'm going to tell you a story right now. My dad had dementia before he died, pretty pretty severe dementia. And when The Mandalorian season one came out, there was a time where I was over at the house, and I was like, you know, Dad, what do you what do you want to watch? Because he still loved to watch movies, always loved to watch movies. And he was like, oh, I I heard there's a new Star Wars movie, and I was like, no, Dad, it's not a movie, it's this new show, but we can watch it, we can watch it right now. You know, we can go put it on. It's it's available right now. And he was like, oh, great. So we sat down on the couch and he watched Star Wars with me from when I was, you know, as far back as I can remember. Those first movies were his jam. And we sat down and we watched the movie on the couch, or the first episode of Mandalorian season one on the couch. And the whole time he's got a little smirk on his face. He's got his blanket put up because, you know, even though he's like one of the gruffest men I've ever met in my life at that point, he just like comfort, you know, sure. and he's sitting on the couch and he's looking at the screen. And the moment that Grogu, at that time Baby Yoda, pokes his hand out and Mando reaches for him, he sat up in his chair and looked over at me and had the biggest smile on his face and just goes, Baby Yoda? And like a little tear rolled on his cheek and he just sat back in his chair and melted into a smile. And it was like the greatest thing I've ever seen because that one moment, that little itty bitty storytelling visual moment told him all the story he needed to know. You don't need Mandalorian season one, the rest of the episodes. You don't need Mandalorian season two, the rest of the episodes. Cause in that moment you understand that guy is going to fight for that thing with his entire life. And that's exactly what it is. It's in such, it's in such masterful hands right now of people that understand that star Wars is a series of moments and it's a series of moments that pay homage to other moments that made Star Wars possible. Self-reflexive on Star Wars, but self-reflexive on, on movies and self-reflexive on storytelling throughout eternity. And they're, exactly. creating, they're creating modern myth. They're creating a modern mythology that extends through however many more generations. And I think that's the quintessential misunderstanding of the Disney era is that they're ruining it. And it's like, no, they're taking it and they're packaging it as a time capsule for what Star Wars was like now. And then in 15 years, it'll be something different. And in 15 more years, it'll be something different. You have to kind of go back to go forward. And they're going back and backfilling these characters in such an emotional 
an interesting way. They're taking your expectations of what these characters are to you. And they're saying, no, this is characters actually alive in this universe. It's not your whims. It's not your thought processes. It's what makes sense for the story and the future of the mythology. And so part of the reason why it didn't land for me right away is because I was kind of shaking the Starlight guts out of my brain and just being like, okay, no, this is, let's meet them here. So to think like him escaping the Starlight, I was like, that's it. It's like, yeah, that's it. We got it out of the way. Because think about that moment lingering for four more episodes. It's all you're thinking about. You're not thinking about the development of Boba Fett as a character now and like in that weird interim before we see him in Mando, you're thinking about how does he get out of the Sarlacc? How does he get out of the Sarlacc? Right. What did, what did you want to see? Did you want to see him jetpack out of there while Luke was like speeding away in the speeder? You know, like, uh, and he's like, do, bye Boba Fett. And he's like, bye Luke. <laughs> hey, Sorry man. about that, Boba. Glad Sorry. you got out. <laughs> I heard a friend of my dad's killed your dad. Like, bye. <laughs> By the way, what, like while we're on like this, in like sail barge adjacent talk, um, which is a, one of the best parts about doing a Star Wars podcast is you can say sail barge adjacent talk is uh, the, <laughs> the, true. The, the Max, the Max Rebo band. I was like, how the hell is Max Rebo alive? And I looked into it and I don't know if this is official anymore or if it's like still canon or legends. I don't really care. I still love it. It's the band like Max Rebo like jumped ship from the from the sail barge like before, he was like shit's going wrong i gotta get out of here and like they the band like jumped the sail barge i was like that's exactly what a band would do they're like this crowd's getting a little hostile we got oh get my god they absolutely would yeah man it um, would be like it would be like the end of airheads they would just be like nope we gotta, we gotta get <laughs> we, out of we here we gotta bail <laughs> yeah <laughs> thank you for sharing that story about your father by the way like it's that is the essence of star wars isn't it is like the joy and the moments that make you happy and everyone has their little thing my personal star wars like thing if i'm gonna nail myself down to something which i don't love to do but like is deep force talk or like moments that exist within the force and what the force means to people and what the force can do beyond lifting rocks so you know that's why i love the last jedi so much because it's like whoa we're getting into it we just got to get used to what star wars is now and there's... Well, yeah, and, and and I want everybody to remember, especially the people that are listening to this, if you're listening to a, a podcast about the book of Boba Fett, you're a Star Wars fan. I don't care. Like, shocking. It, it might be shocking to you. It might be a spoiler for you, but you're a Star Wars fan. And years ago, before there were any more movies, before there was even an episode one, two, or three, there were the expanded universe books. And there were the books written by Timothy Zahn and, you know... At all, but Timothy Zahn was the, the real breakout. So much so that they brought his characters into this more recent iteration of Star Wars. They just put them in a different timeline. But that's what we had. For the longest time, we just had these books. And they told us these stories. And they told stories that took place in the future. And they told stories that took place in the past. And they told stories about characters we barely knew. And guess what? Disney said, hey, that worked once upon a time. We're going to do that, but we're going to do it live action. And we're going to throw so much money at it that it's going to look like the best movie you've ever seen. And we're going to give it to you weekly for the price of 6 or seven ninety nine. Exactly. But the fact that they decided they were going to put it out, they were going to give a creative team, the likes of which you know include Dave Filoni and John Favreau, carte blanche to just say, hey, 
usher in a brand new version of what we want to do with Star Wars. Because, you know, a lot of people are talking about the MCUification of this generation of Star Wars. But no, the MCU no. owes its allegiance to what the comic books did way back in the day, what the expanded universe did for the Star Wars universe way sure. back in the day. Like these these conflagrations of stories, these combinations of stories have taken place for a very long time. And I don't see I don't it's not the same thing. It's just not the, it, they don't lock. No, it's, it's they don't not. lock together the same way it, 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 as evidenced by this first episode where like nothing tied to anything it was just its own self-contained origin pilot episode anyway continue i didn't mean to interrupt you well no i think that's that you just made a fantastic point i think that was what they were working up against was like is baby yoda gonna be in this episode is grogu gonna show up and they had to make an episode that would a honor the legacy of boba fett and b act as a standalone thing that showed you like no we don't need any of that other stuff we don't need luke skywalker showing up we don't need ben kenobi's ghost being in the background or like <laughs> jedi robes flowing down from stuff no uh, we can have max rebo back there that's what you're gonna get fuckers <laughs> i like the idea of like just a robe hanging from the, the top of the <laughs> yeah and you're like all right why are they doing that um but yeah you, I mean, you do get max rebo it, it they are playing like a jazzed up version of the cantina song that's oh, so uh, good you, you do get the rx droid from like star tours dealing cards you get an r5 unit playing um like a yamaha electronic drum kit it's how the universe operates it's not the term fan service really really bothers me unless it is specifically fan service fan service to me is like I'll keep it in Star Wars to keep it fair. Fan service to me is in The Force Awakens when Finn is like going through the box and he pulls out the training droid and he's like, huh, what's this thing? And throws it away. But then like just how the universe operates is Max Rebo. Yeah, Max Rebo is there. He lives in the universe in there. It's just like, or um, uh, here's here's one. Dr. Abazan and Pondo Baba, another good example. Like it's like, okay, yeah, the chance of them running into them on that like asteroid thing in Rogue One, slim. But guess what? They are cruising around the universe in these ships that act like hot rods, pretty much. It's plausible because it's, well, a, it's a universe. It's not fan service necessarily. And like, this is the danger of giving me a microphone and uh, a platform. <laughs> this is this is why like Alex Jones like took off because he's like, I have a microphone and I'm just going to say whatever the fuck I want about anything. Yeah, Anyways. but here's the thing. If you if you were in, let's say, Miami, Florida or whatever the town is in Florida where all the cruise ships take off from. Right. If you are in that town and you're growing up in that town, you're going to see a musician who is going to be the best fucking musician that town has ever seen. And then eventually that musician is going to be on the cruise ship and then eventually they're <laughs> going to retire from that cruise ship and they're going to go back into that town. And you know who you're going to hire? That musician. Why? Because he knows every fucking Billy Joel song in the book and he can bring in the goddamn dollars. So Max Rebo is, of course, going to get hired to go be at a different part of Tatooine <laughs> because he's put in the fucking work, man. Max Rebo's like, yeah, I'll play the Cantina song, okay? But I'm going to do it my way. And we're getting a drummer. That's a droid. And you're going to pay us all in calamari flan. It's going to be great. Yeah, they were like, you know what? Yes, of course, we're going to do all of that stuff because you've put in the work. You've been a huge member of this community for a very long time. Everybody <laughs> loves you. And we know that when you play the piano man later on, nobody's going to get it because it's not a part of this universe, but everybody's going to really enjoy it. Piano man is just so transcendent that it, it transcends space and time. It, really, uh, it, just, it just works as a forlorn late night bar song. <laughs> but- to a larger point, they're populating all these shows in such a loving way, in but in ways that make sense. We're like so off track now, but it's great. I love well, it. Well, that's the thing. Um, you can't. You how can how can you talk about this particular episode without getting a little bit off track? This episode invites you, the viewer, 
to look at this, to look at the world that we've created now, to remember what was created in The Mandalorian, to remember what was in the films, to remember what you once knew about Boba Fett, grab it all, crumple it into a ball, and chuck it down on the ground and say, hey, you want to have some fun and, and learn a new story that you didn't know? Watch this. And it, it ties in thematically because it's Boba trying to rebuild Mos Espa and Tatooine. He's trying to rebuild it in his image and trying to create it to be maybe not more a more peaceful place, but definitely a more respectful place. And I think there's been a lot between Mandalorian and now this episode of Book of Boba Fett. There's a lot of humanization of the Tusken Raiders happening. There's a reclamation of the Tusken Raiders as... Not just freaks in the desert, but people. They're like, you know, they're they're the indigenous tribe of of Tatooine, you know? So there's this attempt to show them not just as like something to fear in the desert, but someone that you can make an alliance with, someone that you could sit around a fire with, someone that you can kill a giant scorp centipede hairy house and monster thing for and take their head back. And they're like, we cool. Like we good, and, and I'm like, I'm here for it. You can have some water, and I think where the show might be going is Boba having that profound life experience with where I can change the Tusken Raiders, even though they don't need they don't need changing. Boba Fett was like, I can fix them, but like there's this thing happening where it's like they have the wrong idea about these guys. Maybe they have the wrong idea about how we're operating as a whole, and I think he's gonna try to pull the Tuscan Raiders to the table and people are gonna be like, hell no. Like they're get them out of here. Like we don't deal with them. We don't talk to them. We don't associate with them. This is run fine without them so far. We don't need those Tuscan Raiders. And he's gonna be like, we're a, we're a stronger, more unified Tatooine with them. And either it's going to be the conflict that's created or a conflict that's resolved with that relationship later on. You said earlier that you weren't a script writer or that you weren't a screenwriter, but you just wrote, you just wrote the story that I'd want to see. That I, that I desperately want to see now because that's, it's, it's, it's so true. It's, it's one of those things where if you're, if, if you're telling a story in the 21st century and you're talking about modern culture, you have to look at those things that have been marginalized in your own creations or the things that you're playing with now over time. Mm-hmm. And sure. if, if they choose to look at it from that perspective and are like, oh man, if we can tell a story about the reclamation of the Tusken Raiders really having a seat at the table on their own planet, a place where they probably have more agency than anybody else who exists there now. Truthfully, yeah. Oh, it's great. I mean, the Ewoks, the Ewoks are a perfect example. You know, like they're <laughs> these these little itty bitty murder bears help dismantle the entire empire, right? And I know they're divisive and I know that's a, that's a little bit crazy, but at this point, the Tusken Raiders are too. You know, if you're really right. looking at it from the point where we saw in this episode, Tusken Raiders be badasses, not just, you know, wielding stuff over their heads and be like, rrr, 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 rrr. like, right. We saw them in brand new outfits. We saw a part of their culture that we've never seen bef- before. Um, we've only ever really seen them be desperately murdered by Anakin Skywalker or just kind of in the background or teaming up briefly with the Mandalorian. If, if we've, tell a new story here where Boba Fett is able to give these people a voice that they haven't had before and is able to make them an equal, if not equitable, if not greater voice on Tatooine than anybody else that's there. Ugh. I mean, it might be a little bit more ambitious than the average Star Wars story is, is, is trying to be, but that would be I wonderful. Mean, but, li- but listen, they're, they're showing 
Tuscan Raider sign language. We can talk to them and have a conversation. We can, like I said, sit around a fire. These Tuscan Raiders we see in this episode have, it's not just like burlap sacks on, they're ornate, regal, and their their tents, I think, are different. Their tents are like, it's clearly like a different tribe or something. I, I assume there's different sects and different tribes of the Tuscan Raiders, but to see the intense amount of Tuscan Raider content and working together with people that we're seeing, it's like, it's not, it's not an accident that they're like, we just really like the Tuscan Raiders. And I think using that as a central conflict, I, I don't know. That's why I think it's going to only kind of vacillate between this like five years before and five years or one month after kind of timeline, but it could go anywhere and do anything. Like Mando went back to Clone Wars and showed a battle droid opening a, a basement door. You know, it's like, it, it could be anything. And I just think him, especially with Fennec kind of being the, this is not how it's done, but like, I'm here for you. And not in like a subservient way, the two of them ruling kind of, he's got the power, but she's got the power, you know, like having her there is already a new dynamic because I don't think Jabba listened to Bib very much. I think, I think Bib was whispering in his ear, but Jabba was like, no, I'm going to eat him," Or like, no, I'm going to put him in the Rancor pit, see what happens. I think, Boba's open to the conversations. Yeah, um, and, and I think that's he's the curious. Whole, the the whole idea, yeah, is that he's he's going to surround himself with a team, you know, and and right. Fennec being the number one person in that team, I think he's it's kind of the natural succession. You know, Boba doesn't have a child of his own, so he now has his number one confidant, Fennec, and he she's a sounding board. Obviously, he trusts her. He told her about his dreams. He is is going to in order. To achieve whatever his goal ends up being, because again, like we've talked about, any of this stuff might happen and none of it might happen. And right. I'm still going to tune in every single week and figure out what does occur. But let's be honest, like none of it's going to happen because it's like <laughs> every time I guess something personally, it's like always so far off, but I'm still always along for the ride. I don't know. Some of you, some of your predictions, especially about the Matrix Resurrection is where uh, absolutely correct. I That's true. I know it all. I'm no, the soothsayer no, no, no. of Star Wars. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I just I uh, think that one of the, the the magic trick of this show in particular is that we went into it with so little understanding of what it was going to be because nobody could have known looking at that you know post credit scene of the Mandalorian season two that it would all of a sudden shift focus to Boba Fett nor would it shift focus to Boba Fett trying to rend control of the criminal underworld from Bib Fortuna who had already done it from Jabba the Hutt you know based on whatever way that he died we have no idea what's happening and this first episode was all about removing the veneer of what you assumed might happen. And right. in that way, it was perfect. No one knows what's happening. Boba and Fennec walk into the um, sanctuary. They walk in and they're like, uh, yeah, here we are. What do we do? And the servant is like, do you want me to take your helmets? And they're like, uh, yeah, that sounds cool. Like they don't know what's going on. It reminds me a lot of, did you, watch, did you ever watch Breaking Bad? It reminds me of, spoiler for Breaking Bad, when they killed Gus near the end and the season after that where Mike is kind of walking them through and like, here's the legacy costs. You pay this much to these people. You pay this much to these people. And Walter White's like, no, 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 no. I, I don't want to do any of that. And it, that's kind of like where we're at with this, with, with this story. But it's more of like a curiosity as opposed to I will not. It's like, how can I do it differently as opposed to like, I want this for myself. And it's fascinating. It's really fascinating to see that. And it's, it is it is really disorienting, very jarring. And it's on purpose. Boba Fett's our surrogate for this world we think we know, to go back to your point, to this world we think we know that we have no idea about. 
not to paraphrase the uh, the real world or whatever, or like MTV True Life. <laughs> we think we we think we know, but you we think have no you know, idea. but you have no idea. But that's <laughs> that that is exactly the point. Is that I feel like anybody who's got a mild amount of disappointment because you can't go into this episode with its amazing action beats and with Tamara Morrison and and walk away completely disappointed. But maybe you walk away and you're like, ah, that isn't exactly what I expected. And I think that's the entire point. Mm-hmm. We're not making the Boba Fett show that you thought you were going to see. We're making the Boba Fett show that actually pays homage to the Boba Fett character that never existed. Because yes. the Boba Fett character that exists currently only does so in your mind. We now need to flesh that out and figure out what makes him tick. What does he want? And I got to imagine part of what he wants is to figure out what his life means, especially knowing that he's a clone of something. Not only is he a clone of something, exactly. he's an, an exact clone that exists, like that, that awesome tossaway line in season two of The Mandalorian where, there, where Bo-Katan is like, I've seen your face a thousand times before. He knows his face is has been writ large across the universe, across the galaxy. He knows that people are aware of who he was or that there's a, you know, a vestige of the population that might look at him and think like, Oh shit, you're one of them. And and initially caused suffering when it turned to the empire and his face and his lineage, he himself caused suffering pre Sarlacc. Maybe he's trying to rectify that, you know, like there's, there's gotta be something that's going to unlock this for us. And I got to imagine that when it unlocks this for us, it's going to be that same moment that I was talking about earlier with Grogu for the first time reaching out of the pram where we're all going to be like, oh, fuck, that's of course what this was all about. Exactly. And I'm here for it because Dave Filoni doesn't make anything without it having a point. 100% facts. Preach it from the rooftops. It's almost like the people that are doing these stories know what they're doing <laughs> and, have, and have loved Star Wars their entire life. Also, no, nothing gets me riled up more than clone talk. So that's great. Oh, yeah. Humanizing and making the clones like this pervasive element of the story. And like, it's more than just a, like, a, uh, this is how we have stormtroopers. It's become such a rich text in the universe of like, you know, Rex out on his own, you know, the Bad Batch, Omega. All, it, it's, it's Dave Filoni coming in and being like, let me just, uh, what he meant to say in those movies was, uh, let me, hold on, let me fix this real quick. Um, not that anything needed fixing. I'm not saying that, but creating more understanding of what. No, he didn't fix anything. What he did was enrich everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He built it up because Lucas is pretty much like, I don't know why they don't understand this. <laughs> and then Dave Filoni's like, well, you got to like tell the story. You got to like do it. You got to like actually have it. So it's like understandable. <laughs> so right, like, it, here's what Dave- I'll do. I'll do seven seasons of a t- of a cartoon. I'll do five more of this and then I'll do these two live action shows and then people will kind of like kind of get it more. Does that sound good, George? And George Lucas is like, that's fine. That's great. What he did was he looked at it and he was like, all right, these clones are everywhere. We get (laughs) five minutes of them in the attack of the clones. And then we get like six minutes of them in the beginning of the return of the Jedi. And then the, or not, sorry, not return of the Jedi, uh, revenge of the Sith. Revenge of the Sith. I know what you meant. And, you know, we kind of see them sporadically throughout, but you know, they're, they're really nothing back there. And for me, when I went and finally decided, oh, like, okay, I'm going to watch the Clone Wars. I heard a lot of good about this. I, I think it might be worth watching. There is an episode solely featuring the clones in the first yeah. season, even where they're at an outpost and it's just them. And it's one voice actor doing the voice for all these people. And, you know, I could go on for hours about how he's able to characterize every individual clone. 
Shout out D. Bradley Baker. We love you. The voice of Olmec himself from Legends of the Hidden Temple. You're my boy. <laughs> it, it, the performance is is incredible. Anyway, when he does he humanize every individual clone, and Boba Fett is a clone. And I got to imagine we're also going to come up, you know, we're going to come up against that at some point. Rex is still kicking around out there in the universe, in this galaxy. It would be amazing to have two Tamuras kind of talking oh to one God. another at some point. I like, can't. We, we don't know whether or not this is going to happen. If Boba Fett talks to another clone of any kind during this show, it might be like a point of singularity that it, it creates and then the world will rip apart because it's like <laughs> that's too that's too powerful. I think I think ultimately it would just come down to why. What what are we trying to yeah. do here? Because yeah, we've yeah. seen that question answered already in the Clone Wars many times. True. You know, yeah. not to just you don't keep, need to. keep bringing it up. We know that the clones have individual lives, that some of them affect. Some of them go on to marry people. Some of them go on to have children of their own. We've seen this time and time again. So Boba needs his own reclamation story. Not mm. necessarily his own uh, redemption, because he had nothing to redeem, right? Like, he's he's already got his own life. But he needs to reclaim his own life and figure out what that means and how he's going to either A, help, or B, hinder people. And I got to imagine it's going to be help because we wouldn't yep. have seen him grow this way otherwise. He wouldn't have spared the shirtless Gaborians. You know, <laughs> he wouldn't have he wouldn't have helped destroy the Harry House and Monster. He wouldn't have he, said uh, after Fennec goes after the one people, Fennec, alive. Alive. You know? There's a lot more to be said. I, I, I don't know. Um... Well, I think that's the, that's the thing to say. There's a lot more to be said, but what more could be said? We could talk, we could discuss this all damn day. And that is what's incredible about it. We could get as granular as the sands on Tatooine, but we have six more episodes to go through. And <laughs> they, they can't all be two and a half hour episodes. So, yeah. I, I mean, do you have any closing thoughts on this opening episode? Do you have anything... That you want to add? No, I, th- I think it's that. If you if you watch this episode and you thought to yourself, oh man, I wish I saw more action. Guess what? It's fucking coming because Robert yeah. Rodriguez is at the helm. We lit the match. I think eventually it's going to get wild. It's already wild. What are we talking about? Boba Fett's having dreams about Camino. It's wild. <laughs> yeah, we start off with Boba Fett having dreams about Camino. We saw him come out of the Sarlacc pit. We got everything that you could have ever wanted. And just because it's mildly different or a little bit slower than what we already saw doesn't mean anything. Because we already had the incredible Boba Fett reintroduction in The Mandalorian Season 2. Yep. This episode had to remove all of our expectations from that and set us up with new expectations. And in that, it, gave, it, it succeeded. That being said, much like... Boba Fett's trial of escaping the Sarlacc pit. Are you ready to face the trials? Yeah, I'm never been more ready. Let the trials commence. With the book of Boba Fett being a brand new Star Wars show about the the crime world, we're going to try out a new category this week called Your First Week. So, Doug, you only get one chance to make a first impression. You are the new crime lord on Tatooine. What does your first week as that crime lord look like? All right. Well, I am a uh, a sucker for animals. I always have been my entire life. First week as a crime lord on Tatooine is going to look like making sure that the menagerie is okay. <laughs> I'm going to find the rancor. I'm going to find any other animal that Jabba had tied up or any other thing that Bib Fortuna had tied up. And I'm going to make sure that those animals are well taken care of and that they're up on their vaccinations and their shots and <laughs> that they have uh, check know, those teeth. All, all their nails are trimmed and that their, te- that their teeth are going to be well in hand. After that, 
I'm going to start going back and, you know, looking at the numbers, right? So I'm going to start looking at the financials. I'm going to start looking at who owes me what, and I'm going to start putting together a ledger. I know it's not exactly the most sexy thing in the world, but I got to start with my, with my heart, right? And I'm going to make sure that all of my, my things are well set first. And I got to imagine he's got a bitchin' library, right? Like, I'm going to go through and catalog all the, the books in the library. Do you think Jabba has a library? All the, all the, like, cool shit in the collection. Not necessarily a library. I guess more like a museum. To be fair, he probably has a library. He probably just hasn't read any of the books. Exactly. That's my he's point. He's one of those guys. So I'm going to go through and I'm going to look at all that stuff. And I'm just going to let the mystique of what the hell I'm doing settle on all the rest of Tatooine while they wonder what the fuck I'm doing. And they have no idea that I'm actually just like in a humanitarian scratching the belly of a rancor. Like, who's a good rancor? Who's a good this one? New, yeah, this new guy's just like uh, petting a father yeah. for a week. I don't know what the hell is going on. but That's what I'm doing. What about you? Mine's a little different, but it's all right. Well, I mean, technically. Okay, the first thing I'm doing, I sit in the throne. Whoever is my second in command, I'm like, let's get these people health benefits. Let's get them a 401k. Let's get them some PTO because they can't be guarding the palace all the time. A a rested employee is a good employee and a a well-taken-care-of employee is a loyal employee. So they're getting benefits. They're getting the full package. They're getting dental. They're getting long-term disability in case they accidentally fall into the Rancor pit and something happens. Something goes awry. So everyone's getting benefits. Second of all, everyone, please take the, the brass slave outfits off. We're putting on. You're coming to work. You're all freed. You're coming to work, though. And you can dress like you. You're, you're, you're instilling in. casual Friday every day? Yeah, casual Fridays every day in, in John's Palace, baby. And so, once again, someone's going to wear something that's like too revealing, or someone's going to wear something that's like kind of offensive, like whatever the Star Wars version of like the Metallica Kill 'em All shirt is. And someone's going to complain and they're going to ruin it for everybody. But it's a good thought. So, we're going to start with that. And then we're going to go through and be like, who gets killed first? <laughs> like, who who of my enemies gets killed first? I'm not going the bubble route. I'm saying, like, we don't want any of these threats to the throne. I don't know how to fight, so I need you guys to go kill these people for me. And then we start politicking from there. That's how we go, is just kind of one day at a time. <laughs> I like it's it. One, uh, one, one foot in front of the other. You know, yeah. like, both you and I came at it from a place of being like, what would we really do? What would we really actually do? Not just that, yeah. like, I'm going to blow it all up. That was your first week. We're, I think we're going to keep that one. That one's fun. But the classic versus is up next. This one, I'm going to explain the ground rules a little bit. You said you've listened, so you know. But it's usually, like, fighting. When I was writing these, I was more thinking, like, who do you think would be the more efficient crime boss? All right. I'm glad you came at it from that angle. I've got – I had many – I had multiple responses ready for each of these. Uh I'm ready to go. Because, yeah, like Boba Fett versus Don Corleone is like, it would be, the verses would just be like, he would blow the marble with a missile. You know, like <laughs> it's not, it's not, I'm, I'm just saying like, who is the more effective crime lord? In yeah, no, nah, I got it. Um, so round one, Boba Fett versus the kingpin, Wilson Fisk. It's Wilson Fisk, hands down. Especially this more recent iteration of Wilson Fisk. And if you haven't seen Vincent D'Onofrio's take on Wilson Fisk in the Daredevil series that was on Netflix, you know, he popped up in, spoilers, he popped up in this more recent iteration of Hawkeye, uh, right there at the end, and he's still clearly the same guy. You know, they haven't made it entirely clear if it's, like, still connected to that other, but man, if you've seen him this unhinged, deranged, 
childlike maniac, but still like is clearly driven and knows exactly what he wants. It's Wilson Fisk. Boba Fett, this, this version of him, as we've seen this far, he's figuring out what he wants for people. Wilson Fisk wants what he wants for him and will kill anyone in his way to get it. Nailed it. Round two, Boba Fett versus Wilson Phillips. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, just hold on for one more day, ladies. You can do it. Boba Fett versus Stringer Bell or Marlon Stanfield from The Wire. I know it's, they're from different they're from different time periods of the show, but they're uh, he they're, would they're, he would take Marlo Stanfield, no problem. But Stringer Bell, it would be it would be an even match. They're both so calculating at this point. Yeah. Uh, at least this Boba that that we've come across, Stringer was one of the like he's one of my favorite villains that's ever been in a television show ever because he is so calculated. It's it's minutia. All he's he he looks at the criminal underworld just like a normal nine to five, and I love that about that character. And Boba Fett seems to be doing the same thing as as far as we know him. Thank you for taking the assignment seriously, Doug. I I think I'm with you with the draw. You don't think because Marlo is such a loose cannon, just unhinged. I think there's a benefit to that, but I guess, I guess when it's like chess versus whack a mole, then chess well, wins. Yeah. All right, all right. Unhinged. I'll give you this: if you're looking at number twos for both of them, Fennec Shan versus Snoop, uh, that's important. <laughs> then you're going to be looking at uh, a pretty evenly matched fight there. But Marlo was so passionate about taking over what he's got going on. It seems like this version of Boba Fett is more concerned about the long game. Where Marlo was more about like, I just want this. Give it to me. Yeah. I want this. Round three. Boba Fett versus Two-Face. I got to give this one to Boba. I got to give this one to Boba. Because he is resilient. Two-Face can eventually, uh, he wars within himself. I don't think Boba Fett wars with himself at all. He knows what he wants. Two-Face's duality is what's going to be his downfall versus a Boba Fett when it comes to ruling a criminal underground. I don't think Boba Fett's going to leave anything to a coin flip. He's not leaving anything to chance at this point from how we see him. Boba Fett versus Gustavo Fring. I got to go Gus. I'm with you. I got to go Gus. Moff Gideon himself. He has no problem playing an extremely long game. Even longer game than Boba Fett. Like if you've watched, if you've watched Better Call Saul... The game is longer than you even thought it was. It is a it is an extremely long, extremely thoughtful, very, very, very calculated decision that he's making. Boba Fett is getting there, but this is something that he's learned only recently, it seems like. You know, that he's really considering this way of life. Gustavo has been there. Gustavo Fring had a fridge full of his own blood in case he got assassinated. <laughs> so <laughs> Right. I think, yeah, I think it's Gus in this case, too. Oh, we got Boba Fett versus Bill the Butcher. This is Bill the Butcher all the <laughs> fucking way. It's charisma versus charm, right? It's it's not just that. It's the most, like, this is honestly one of my most feared human beings on the planet, fictional or otherwise, is Bill the Butcher. <laughs> because he cares so goddamn much. He, like, he lives and drips and breathes everything that he believes and i know boba is there and 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 we're kind of being reintroduced to him as somebody that might get there eventually but his whole thing is fairness bill the butcher does not give a shit about yeah, fairness bill the butcher no justice in bill the butcher's world absolutely would not. look at every single tuscan raider and be like get him the fuck out of here it, it is just reckless passion versus caring indifference that's my Bumble profile. 
<laughs> it is oh my god talk about something that i would want to see though like not that those two things would ever coincide like actually on film but uh, oh I yeah i'd love to see that conversation if there was the <laughs> same conversation that exists in gangs of new york where instead of leo dicaprio waking up to bill the butcher sitting there it's tamura morrison waking up from his back to tank <laughs> and bill the butcher is sitting there wrapped in the american flag uh, he's tapping his knife on the top of the back hello hello, hello. and probably the most fearsome competition here I don't know which way this is going to go. It could, it could, it's anybody's game. We got Boba Fett versus Fat Cat from Chippendale Rescue Rangers. I, it took me about 45 minutes after looking at this to stop grinning like a, like a childish idiot. Cause this is one of my favorite things I've ever seen. And then I really, really thought about it. And you know, we, we asked the tough questions on this show. We, <laughs> in this round, I got to give it to Boba Fett. And just, just this round. Oh, just, you mean this, this specific round of this game. I thought about like the first altercation between Boba Fett and Fat Cat. You're like, when they first meet, it'll be purely <laughs> no, 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 Boba. No, 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 but no. I got to give it to Boba here. Fat Cat's incredible. Fat Cat is absolutely amazing, but I got to give it to Boba here. We got, Boba Fett is um, a crime lord that has survived cl- crawling out of a pit. Um, he's a ruthless, He was a ruthless bounty hunter. He has an amazing assassin sidekick. Uh, fat Cat is a fat cat. <laughs> is a fat cat. So... so Actually, his body's fine just the way it is. No body shaming. You know, fictional cartoon cats. Um, no, he owns you know, it. He's, I mean, it's his name. <laughs> it, in much the same way that Wilson, Wilson Fisk owns it. That's it for the versus round. Final question. Episode MVP. Not actor, but character. Who's the, who's the MVP of the episode? I'm going to go ahead and disregard all of that. I am going to give you episode MVP <laughs> is the score. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah of the episode is it's just wonderful and but man that like orchestral just kind of um, like oh like it just hit me here like in an episode where you already know the vast majority of the characters you already know kind of what's going to happen you you had some expectations of what you might see but you know some of the broader strokes of what's going to happen that score i had no idea about and given that it's the same person who scored, and I, I, I would butcher his name if I tried to say it. Ludwig Gorenson. His score for The Mandalorian is absolutely incredible. And it's just like he has come in and created these brand new things. Like you don't miss John Williams because these things are so wonderful and so vibrant. And this really felt like a unique voice. Like if you if you want to have any, like disregard everything I said about the episode before this. All of it. If you might want to have an idea of how Boba Fett the Book of Boba Fett is going to roll out. Just listen to that score. Yeah, and whatever you envision in your head is probably more likely the case than anything I said. It's that time-honored tradition of using the music to tell the story uh, in Star Wars. Like, there's that version of The Last Jedi that's score only. And it's like, yeah, it's like watching Raiders of the Lost Ark with the sound off. And I get this. I understand what's happening. The music could replace the entire all the dialogue, and you would still know exactly what people are feeling and doing. And it's the same thing with Ludwig's score. My MVP is also music-related, and it's... The R5 droid that played the electronic <laughs> drums. <laughs> I'm thankful for you for bringing up the score because it's we would be remiss in our actions of recording a Book of Boba Fett podcast and not talking about that amazing music. So, yeah, that wraps it up. I think that we've accomplished what we came here to do. We have six more of these things. I have an idea of where the story is going, but I have no idea where the story is going. I'm excited to find out. I'm on the ride for the time being happy to be on Tatooine. <laughs> yeah. Any closing thoughts on Book of Boba Fett, Episode 1, Stranger in a Strange Land? No, I think you got it, man. I'm buckled up with Boba as well. That's the name of this podcast series is Buckled Up with Boba. Buckled Up with uh, Boba. 
Click it or ticket, baby. <laughs> anyway, yeah, stay tuned. Next week, we're going to jump back into episode two, as of yet untitled. Doug's going to be back for that one. We'll have a special guest after that for episode three and four. And man, Doug, it was a real pleasure. I'm glad we finally got to do this. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. See, it feels good. I was, I was like, we got to get Doug on here. Let's do it. We got to do it. <laughs> so we hope to have you back soon, and uh, we can talk about Jurassic Park 3. Oh, yay. <laughs> Your favorite movie, Doug. <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I I created your nickname and then I never went back to it. I, I'm going to reverse it and let's. I'm going to take the end again and say it's been a pleasure to have you, especially dangerous, Doug. Mutai chucha, putu. Yeah, and then you. It's there's like footsteps of you getting into your car, and it's like as you drive away. People, if you're making a Star Wars podcast, you got to close it. With a podcast engine joke. It's just it's, the rules of the land. Do you know, quick origin story of this podcast. I was trying for like a full year to think of a good Star Wars podcast name. And I was like, I got to do a Star Wars podcast. I got to do a Star Wars podcast. And I was like shooting ideas to friends. And they were like, stop talking to me about this. I don't care about this. This is like, this is your job. Like, just pick one. And I was like, I can't. They're all taken. They're all taken. And the idea, I wanted to go from in current canon which is a dirty word but like in current canon like the very first thing that happens timeline wise minus the high republic because it wasn't out yet the very first thing that happens timeline wise up till the very last thing that happens timeline wise i was like it's such a good idea i gotta do it i gotta do it it's at least like a personal quest for me to like understand all the current canon and i bailed on it because there were no good names and the last straw was this is tying back i promise the final straw that broke the tauntauns back was there was a podcast called now this is podcasting because i was like it's brilliant i'm gonna call the podcast now this is podcasting and then someone had it every star wars podcast name was taken so if you're making a star wars podcast in the year of our lord 2021 more power to you you're gonna have to really get creative you're gonna have to be like panaka or banaka at this point I had some good ones. I had some really bad ones too, but I took it and I scrapped the whole thing. And I was like, I'm going to do more limited series of things that I just like in general. And, you know, I'll do Star Wars occasionally. And this is why. This is the longest thing I've ever recorded. (laughs) And I love it. So once again, thank you for being a part of it. I feel feel like I unlocked it. This is like what it feels like to be at Star Wars Celebration. And you're just like, everybody understands what I'm talking about completely. And on that note, make sure to keep following the show. Give us that five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. Leave us a review as well. Also, leave us that five-star review now on Spotify and ring that bell to follow us and get updates on when new episodes come out. Like I said, next week, we'll be diving into Book of Boba Fett episode two. So if you like what you heard here, come back for that. And we'll be here for the rest of the season as well. It was great talking Star Wars with you. It's been a real uh, phaser blast. <laughs> yes, yes. We're, faded, we're just gonna fade it out to the to the story. Anyway, so that's a solid note to end up. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.